Good morning. My name is Derek, one of the pastors here. Grab your Bible if you have it. And if you don't, there's one in the seat in front of you, and I'll give you the page number so that you can turn right to it. In uh, 1952, Florence Chadwick uh, attempted to swim from Catalina Island to the coast of California. If you've never been down there, it's about a 22-mile distance from the island to the coast. And she, she started this swim, and it took, I mean, hours and hours and hours and hours. But it was a foggy day. And so as she's swimming along, there's boats going with her, and her mom was in one of the boats encouraging her along the way, you know, you can make it, you can do it. And eventually her strength gave out, and she just couldn't quite make it. She climbed into the boat half mile from the shore. She had swum 21 and a half miles and gave up a half a mile from the destination. Because of the fog, she couldn't see it. And she said, if, if only the fog weren't there and I could see how close I was, I probably had enough to make it that far. And I think for us, that's a really good picture of us and our view of eternity, our view of heaven. Do we have our, our eyes set on the prize to help us make it through here? You know, a lot of times we just don't really think of eternity. You know, we don't think about heaven. We don't think about those things. And understandably, I think if we did, though, and we had an accurate picture, it would help us here make it through relational problems, you know, government issues, COVID, I mean, go down the list. We got all this stuff. If we had a better picture of what eternity was going to be like, it would give us what we need, I think, to make it through here. And so we are going to keep looking at heaven in Revelation 21, uh, page 1143, 1143 in your Bible in front of you, 1143. Now, if you've been here the last two weeks, uh, the first week we said heaven is a real place. Jesus told his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be with me. Now, he was going to the cross, what we know. He went to the cross. That prepared the way to heaven. And then we looked at last week, what won't be there? There won't be pain. There won't be sin. There won't be any vestiges of the curse left over. And so this week, I want to look at what will be there. Now, some challenge... Um, why think about heaven? Why? We don't know what's going to be there. Just trust God. It'll be good. And sometimes they use 1 Corinthians 2.9. It says, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And so they'll use this verse, and I've heard it, of, okay, why are we even talking about heaven? It's a mystery. We don't know what's going to be there. But they don't look at the next verse, verse 10. It says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit meaning there are things we don't know, and there's absolutely a lot of mystery in who God is. There's a lot of mystery in eternity, but the things that have been revealed, we can stand on. So the first week, we said, what, what is going to be our source of truth for eternity, for heaven? Well, the Bible. And in Scripture, God has revealed quite a lot about what eternity is going to be like. And so we can know what it's going to be like, roughly. We can have some good ideas. And Revelation 21 gives us a good picture. So we're going to read just the first verse. Revelation 21, verse 1. says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So if you remember, uh, this book, the book of Revelation, not Revelations, Revelation um, is written by John. 
It's actually written by Jesus. Jesus gave the revelation to John who wrote it down. He is exiled currently on an island called Patmos. And so he has this vision and he's told to put it down for the churches uh, in Asia of that time, seven churches, but also to us. So it's written to them, but it's written for us. Meaning if we understand in context what they would be reading, what they would understand, that helps us apply it now. And so this hope that he gives them is a new heaven and a new earth. Now, the book of Revelation is a a little bit confrontational sometimes because people have different views of of all the imagery, and there are some unique things in Revelation that only appear there and nowhere else. But the new heaven and the new earth is not one of them. The new heaven and the new earth appears elsewhere throughout Scripture. And so I want you to put a finger right there, dog ear the corner, and flip to 2 Peter. 2 Peter 3, uh, and it's page 1,122, if you're using the same Bible. 2 Peter chapter 3, flip over there. And we're going to read a little more here, because here this gives us some context and some picture, a picture of our hope. So 2 Peter 3, we're going to start in verse 1. And this is Peter. Peter writes, this is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Now, just real quick, you know, context for us, the last days, that's right now. The last days is from when Jesus left the earth to when he returns. And so it's not this short period at the very end. We are in the last days. So look around. During these last days, there will be people that with scoffing follow their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago. And the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. That's the flood of Noah. But by the same word, the heavens, earth that now exists are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are in it will be exposed." Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So that was a lot of buildup to that last verse. What are we waiting for, he says? We are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now go back. What is the context of this whole passage here? It starts in in, uh, chapter 3, 
verse 4, speaking of these scoffers who say, where is the promise of his coming? So that's kind of the context that's setting this up, is that people, during the last days, the days that we live in, will say, you people believe in this Jesus, and you believe he's coming back? Well, guess what? He hasn't come back. It's been 2,000 years. He's not coming back. Give up on your hope. But here, he gives them the hope. He says, listen, to God, a day is like a 1,000 years, and a 1,000 years is like a day. By the way, to God, a 1,000 years is not a day, and a day is not a 1,000 years. It is like a day, meaning God is outside of time. Some people use this to go back to Genesis 1 and go, oh, it took a 1,000 years for each day of creation. No, that's not at all what it means. In context, he is saying God is outside of, of time. So to say that he is, he is delaying or he's, not, he's waiting too long, well, to God, there, there is no too long. It says instead he's actually being patient because he wants more people, be, people to be saved. That's what he's waiting for, more people to be saved. So at some point, that last person is going to bow the knee to Jesus and the end will come. I hope it comes soon. But, but so, so this is the hope though. And then at the end of this, we see the earth is burned up and he compares it with the flood. So God destroyed the earth once before with a flood, a global flood. He saved Noah and his family and then kind of restarted. Then he gave us the, the bow, which probably existed before that, but now it was a, a sign, the rainbow, that he wouldn't do that again. But he didn't promise not to do it with fire. So the next time it's going to burn up and, and he's going to cleanse it with fire. But this idea, and we talked about this last week, the new heavens and new earth, that word new really means renewed. It can mean brand new, but it probably means renewed, fresh, uh, cleansed, right? Like when you take your car to get detailed and they, they get all the, the crayon out that you can't get out, um, new. And so this new heaven and new earth is most likely a renewed earth, a renewed this earth. Can it be another one? Yes, and, and both are fine. But what's the idea of new heaven and new earth? Uh, we talked about this again last week, but what is heaven? You know, the word heaven is used three ways in scripture. Sky, outer space, and then the place where God dwells. And so this new heavens and new earth is a combination of where God dwells and earth. That's how it can be a new heaven and new earth come together one place now where God is and where we are on a new earth. So this is on your notes. The new heaven and the new earth is a combination of a perfected earth and God's presence. Now, verse 2, back to Revelation. Revelation 21, 2, we see the new Jerusalem. And, and we're going to look at this picture of the new Jerusalem. And again, this is where some people debate a little bit. Is this a real city? Because it looks like it is. It's specific. Or is this just the people of God? Well, here, here's a little secret. It's the people of God and it might be a real city. But for sure, it's the people of God. But he's describing in detail what looks like a real physical city. But the point, God's people will be in heaven. This new Jerusalem, uh, verse 2, it says, God uh, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Throughout the New Testament, it's the church that is the bride of Christ. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, the people, God's chosen people, were often referred to as a bride, a spouse. And when they were going after other gods, they would be called bad words like whore and things like that because they were going away from God. But we are the bride of Christ. All God's people, believers from the Old Testament and believers from the New Testament, from the time we live. So as you look at this, one of the questions we had in our group this week 
are we going to know each other? You know, are we going to recognize each other? And I think the clear answer is, is yes, because we're going to be in community with God and with one another, and we are our memories. That was kind of the stuff we were throwing around. If our memories are removed, we're not even us anymore. So we have to have our memories and some recognition of one another. Jesus could be recognized as Jesus in his resurrected body, except for when he didn't want to, right? He, he could hide himself from their eyes. He, he's God. Um, but he was recognizable as Jesus. We will be recognizable somehow as us in heaven. And I think this is helpful because what makes home home, right? I, you know, new heaven, new earth. Why are we not excited about heaven? Because it, it feels like this ethereal, out there, whatever. The truth is, as we see it, it, it'll be like going home. And if you remember home, what made home home? The people, right? When I go visit, we're going to go back around Christmas and visit the place I grew up. It's different, right? All my friends from back then are gone. My siblings are all gone. My parents are still there. Uh, the church that I grew up in, there's like four people left to say. I mean, it's totally different. And so it's just not, I remember going back years ago, and it's like, wow, I felt like I was going to go home, but it doesn't, it just doesn't feel like home. You know, and then when I was in college, that place was, was home. My friends were there. My life was there, all that. Now I go visit. It looks the same, but it's not home anymore. I mean, really, home is, is people, is relationships. You know, that's why I hope Common Ground, I hope, church, I hope this feels like home. You know, when you come here on Sunday mornings, when you go in your groups, that being together is home. In the end, we are going to be together, and it's going to feel like home. And God in heaven will be ruling perfectly. Verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be their God. God will be in heaven ruling perfectly. Verse 3 mentions the throne, and throughout this we see the throne. Here's one of those things that will be in heaven. There will be government in heaven. You ever thought about that? That's kind of weird. There will be government, and it's going to be God ruling perfectly through Jesus as king. So all the junk we have in this world, there is no perfect government, right? Pick whichever one you want. All of them have problems. We will have perfect ruling. God, Jesus, will be on the throne as king. That's going to be awesome. And now I want to look at the city in chapter 21, verses 9 through 17. And picture here, again, John is seeing this image, and, and he's writing down what he sees. And this is a picture of the new Jerusalem, the city where people will dwell. Then came one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, and he spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates. And the 12 gates, at the 12 gates, angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. 
The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod. 12,000 stadia, its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold like glass. And he goes on describing it. And again, people wrestle with, is this a real city? Some will say, well, look at the specifics of the measurements. It's a real city. Why would he tell us that earth measurements are the same as angel measurements? This is something real. But again, it's also God's people. We see purity. We we see beauty here. In heaven, God's people will be perfect and complete and pure. All the numbers here are 12 or a multiple of 12. And that idea of 12, how many tribes were there of Israel? 12. How many apostles were there? 12. One of the apostles betrayed Jesus, Judas, no longer an apostle, and they had to replace him. Again, people will argue, who was the replacement apostle? Was it Paul or the ones they put in? Whatever, we'll find that out then. But the idea of 12 is the idea of completeness, that God doesn't fail. It's all going to work out. And so here, this place is going to be complete. Whether it's a real city or not, it is a physical place. And flip down to verse 25. Verse 25 tells us, And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. And heaven will be perfect peace and security. So this week, we're kind of looking at the flip side of the same coin of last week. Last week, what won't, won't be there. This week, what will be there? No danger, meaning there will be peace. Right? There will be security there. Perfect peace. Meaning also, no stress, no anger, no depression. I mean, think about some of those things. All the things of the curse are removed. We will be at peace with one another, at peace with ourselves, at peace with God. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus gives this invitation. I love this, this invitation Jesus gives. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That invitation from Jesus is temporal and eternal, right? Jesus says, come to me. All you are are weary, heavy laden, I will give you rest. That's a a rest here, but ultimately it's a perfect rest for eternity. Not not rest as in sleep bed, but rest as in at peace, complete. Things are perfect. I'm reading this book here by N.T. Wright. And I love this, uh, this quote that I read this week. Speaking of creation, because a lot of times we get this idea, you know, we as Westerners, that physical is bad, but spiritual is good. And that's not biblical. That's not the way the Jews believed it, right? And that's not the way Christians have believed it. That's Western thought. Rather, says the profound problem, problems within the creation mean that the creator must act decisively to put things right. Not because creation is bad and he's angry with it, but because it's good and he's angry with the forces that have corrupted and defaced it and which threaten to destroy it. Meaning... The body was made good. The earth was made good. It's corrupted by sin, 
And God's whole mission by sending Jesus was to solve the sin problem so he can restore it back to the way it's supposed to be. Not so he can just wipe it all out and start new or so we can be spirits floating in the sky, you know, like playing the heart. That's not it. He wants to restore what he originally made. Where, as in the invitation, will be peace. So now... With kind of all that in mind, what else is going to be there? I want to get kind of practical. Uh, verse chapter 22, verse 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will, will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and then they will reign forever and ever. The picture we're seeing here is of a renewed Eden. If you read Genesis 1 and 2, that's earth before the fall. And you see the tree of life, and you see rivers, you see a garden, you see all those things again here in the new heaven and the new earth. And so really practical. First, rivers will be in heaven. Is this symbolic? Yes. <laughs> you know, throughout the New Testament, you know, water is the river of life. When Jesus meets the woman at the well, you know, he says, you know, I can give you living water. You know, that, that swells up within you. Well, that's, that's life, not actual water, but the water was a symbol. So in heaven, I think there's going to be an actual river that's symbolic of the new life we have in Christ. So there will be a meaning to it, but a real river. And this tree of life is on both sides of the river. I mean, I think there's going to be a rope swing on it. Right? I, I, because if it's a real river and it's a real tree and, and we can actually be eaten of it, rivers will be in heaven. And here's the other thing. What's growing on that tree? Fruit. Delicious food will be in heaven. Again, one of the things we've wrestled with a little bit, in time, will there be meat? <laughs> right? Because we didn't eat meat until after the flood, actually. It was after the flood that, you know, we were given meat. And then Peter was told later, you know, eat everything. So that's when we could eat bacon, which is great. Will there be bacon in heaven? I think that's a legitimate question, and I don't have the answer. Honestly, probably not, because if it's fully restored, then probably not, because if, if there's peace, meaning we won't be killing animals, because there's something unpeaceful about that, but I really like hamburgers, so I don't know how God's going to reconcile that. Um, I mean, honestly, I don't, but I do know this, delicious food will be in heaven. I mean, it'll be good. Maybe he'll have a tofu substitute. I don't know. I hope not. <laughs> yeah. but, but we're going to eat. You ask me, how do I know we're going to eat? Jesus, in his resurrected body, he walked the earth for 40 days in his new body. And we're told that when we see him, we will be like him. We're going to have resurrected bodies like his. And he ate. That was part of the way he proved to them he wasn't just spirit. He said, give me something to eat. He meets them on the shore when they're out fishing. They pull the fish and he cooks, he eats with them. He drinks with them. At the Last Supper, Jesus, before he went to the cross, he had the Last Supper, the bread and the wine. And he said, I'm going to, uh, this is Matthew 26, 29. 
says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. We're going to drink wine in heaven. Right? You know, there's some, that makes some of us uncomfortable. There's going to be wine, meaning there's got to be beer because beer is better than wine anyway. Um, those things are good. We just abuse them and they become bad things. You know, for a lot of people, they shouldn't be touching alcohol because the, the risk or the temptation there. But when sin is removed, we can enjoy those things the way they're supposed to be enjoyed. And so we're going to eat. We're going to drink. It's going to be perfect. Now, use your imagination a little bit. The things that we know, and again, you have to be careful assuming too much, but let's assume a couple things. If it's a restored earth, back to the way it was, and everything right now is corrupted by sin, meaning our taste buds are corrupted. Think about a strawberry a nice, perfect, ripe strawberry. You ever, like, buy fruit on your way to the lake, and you get there, and you pull it out, and it's like the grapes are gushy or the cherries are, you know. Imagine perfect, ripe, without sin. You know, again, without our, our taste buds messing up. How about music? You think music is just a, a man's creation? No, angels sing. When Jesus was born, what were the angels doing? In, in, they were singing. There's going to be music in heaven. I think it's going to be pretty darn good. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, when I was in college, I was in the gospel choir, me and one other white guy. It was so much fun. Um, and my wife, Callie, if you, she's a good singer, and, and she tells me we weren't very good, but I think we were pretty good. But it was a lot of fun. We traveled around. And, I mean, we, it was all the thing. Um, it was so much fun. I can't wait, honestly, to be part of a, a choir where I sound good, where they don't turn me down, you, you know? <laughs> But, but the music, it's going to be great. Do you like to run? Or did you when you were kids? Uh, I, we're going to be able to run. I, I remember at one point, you know, I grew up at a high elevation, went to a low elevation, um, and I was barefoot running the grass. I mean, super cheesy. But there was just something like I had extra oxygen because of the elevation. Think about running, playing flag football. I, I mean, it's going to be it's going to be fun. It's going to be real. We can use our imagination a little bit. What are the things we enjoy here? Remove sin. What's that going to be like there? Relationships without envy, right? No, no jealousy. It's going to be awesome. And here's something else. Look at uh, back to verse 26 of chapter 21. Now, I'll tell you, I enjoy learning new things, um, and I've been a Christian a long time, and st this was new to me to think about as I've studied for this, this series. Uh, verse 26. It says, They will bring into it, that is Jerusalem, the glory and honor of the nations. The nations. In Revelation 5, verses 9 through 10, it says this. It says, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Because you were slain, this is speaking of Jesus, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on this earth, on the earth, the nations. This passage has been the impetus for a lot of global missions. Meaning every tribe, there's going to be people saved from every tongue, every tribe. Meaning they all have to hear before Jesus comes back. You know, and so a lot of people, that's why they've gone and they've set dates of when we want to have, you know, the, the scripture in every language and all those things. But here's the thing that I never really grabbed. The nations. What are we going to be like when we get to heaven? 
You know, again, we were talking about this in our group. How old are we going to be? What about a kid that dies? Are they a kid? What about somebody 80? Are they, are they 80? The 80-year-old says, I hope not, right? The, the kid probably says, I hope not. I read something interesting this week. What if, you know, because it's a, a place of being restored, what if the parents who lost a child get to actually raise that child on the new earth? What if they, I mean, this is imagination. I, I, we can't say biblically this is what happens. But what if they get the experience, that kid gets the experience of growing up on the new heaven and the new earth? I don't know, but, but it's kind of cool to imagine that. You know, those, those who have lost children get to grow up. But what's it going to be like there? You know, it's going to be perfect. It's going to be whatever our bodies are. But this idea of nations, what language are we going to speak in heaven? English, duh. Right? I, I, have you ever thought about that? Are we going to be white? Are we going to be black? Are we going to be Asian? You know what I mean? The nations, there is clearly consistency from here to there. I think this consistency will continue from here to there of even culture. And to me, that's exciting. We'll have true unity among diversity. You know, different cultures are awesome. My favorite thing of when I travel and go places, which I haven't done for a long time, is to get to know the culture. Because different cultures are neat. And the way they do different things. Now, now sin and idolatry makes different cultures have different problems. But at the root, there's some good things in all these different cultures. I think some of those will continue, and we'll get to know those. How fun. So will we speak English? Maybe. Will we have to learn German? Maybe. I don't know. But there will be some consistency here. Jesus was Jewish. Jesus still is Jewish. I mean, he's a Christian. I'm not talking the religion, Judaism religion, but he's an Israelite. Would he look different? Probably not. So there's some consistency from here to there. People from every nation and language will be in heaven. You know, I've referred to a couple books we have out there. Chip Ingram says it this way. Heaven will be multi-ethnic with individuals representing every culture and people group and nation. I I think a piece of us, because of all the problems with racism and, and, and all these things, think, well, when we get there, we'll just all be the same. No, how about sin is gone, and we maintain some of our differences. By the way, when Jesus was risen from the dead, was he still a man? He was. So we will be resurrected, and there will still be gender differences. But yet all will be perfect. You know, kind of summing this up, in heaven, we'll finally be home. In heaven, we'll finally be home. We don't want to go there because we have a bad picture of of an alien place, Right, of all the things we love taken away, no, it's all the things we love made perfect in God's direct presence. Wow. Wow. And again, using our imaginations, our personalities will continue, right? So those of you who are funny will probably still be funny there. You know, those of you who are serious, you know, if you like being serious, you'll still be serious there. But you're going to look over and I'm going to be riding a T-Rex. Um, <laughs> seriously. It's, we're still going to be us, but we're going to be home. We're going to be home. It's not going to be boring. It's not going to be doing one thing. It's not going to be an eternal church service. We will be home. And as we sum this up, you know, we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper. It is all possible because of Jesus' death on the cross. Because sin broke creation, God stepped forward to fix it. We could not fix it. 
every religion tells you what to do to get to God, what you do to fix you. True biblical Christianity, the true faith, the only true faith says there's nothing you can do. So Jesus did it. God took on flesh. He went to the cross and he died. Before he went to the cross, he had the Last Supper. And there he instituted what we call communion or, or the Lord's Supper. And he gave them the cup and he said, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The cup was a symbol of his blood shared. And then he broke the bread and he passed that. And he said, take the bread, which is my body broken for you. Do this as long as you do it in remembrance of me until I come again. So he, he gave us this thing to do to remember his death and his resurrection until he comes back. And so when we take communion, it's a time to remember what he did. And in hope and thankfulness, look forward to him coming back. And maybe if today, while we took it, we all prayed for him to come back, it would happen sooner. I don't know. Um, but let's remember what he did. Let's worship. Now, the Lord's Supper is for believers. If you have yet to, to place your faith in Jesus as Lord, don't take it today. Or I'm going to be right up here. Come talk to me. If you want to know how you can know you're going to heaven, how you can know you're going to be saved, come talk to me. Or if you have anything else you need prayer for, I'd love to pray with you. And so take a minute, examine your heart. Are you and God on good terms? Are you surrendered to him as Lord? And then come up. We have three stations, two up here and one in the back. And take it remembering what God did for you. Or today might be the day of salvation. Come talk to me and then you can take communion for the first time as a follower of Jesus. Father in heaven, we thank you. God, I thank you for the picture that we do get in scripture of heaven, of eternity. I also thank you that there's a lot of mystery in it. I thank you that we can't know some things for sure. And God, I pray that for those things that we don't know for sure, that we would have, have grace. We would open hands of different opinions on, on reading some of that. But God, I do ask that, that every heart in this room would be filled with hope and encouragement based on what we see for eternity. And that all of creation now is building toward that. We look back to Jesus, to your death, your resurrection, and forward to your fulfillment where all will be glorified. We can't wait for that to come. But God, I do pray also that for those of us in this room, it wouldn't stir us to want to go there right now necessarily, but it would stir us to sell out to you here and now. That our lives would be so given to you in worship and godliness and holiness that then we are your tools, that others could come to know you, that others could see our life, see the hope and ask and we can point them to you that more and more can be saved. Like you had your... your Apostle Peter write that you're not slow in your promise, but you're patient, you're waiting that more might repent. And we ask for that in our community. God, we beg for that in our community. Northern Nevada is very unchurched. There's very few believers percentage-wise here. We want that to change. God, please save many in our community and around the world. In Jesus' name, amen.